1984 has been a tough year. Our sales are down, our growth is down. Sonny, I brought you in here to grow the basketball business. People don't know what the hell a Nike is. What's a Converse? NBA All-Star Shoe. There's nothing cool about Nike. You would have to have a pretty compelling pitch. I can tell them the one thing the other companies can't compete with. Our basketball division is terrible. I do not love it. This is where you come up with a brilliant idea that no one else can see. Let's hear it. I got it. I found him. Who's that? Jesus? Can't afford it. I'm willing to bet my career on one guy. My name's Sonny Vaccaro. I'm with Nike. Do you typically make it a habit of showing up at people's front doors unannounced? I don't like to take no for an answer. Oh, man. Here we go. You ask me what I do here. This is what I do. I find you players, and I feel it this time. Okay, it's risky. When you were selling sneakers out of the back of your Plymouth, that was risky. Don't change that now. For a rookie? Yes. Who's never set foot on an NBA court. That's the literal definition of rookie. Yeah. What's the plan? We build a shoe line around just him. I need the greatest basketball shoe that's ever been made. Who's the player? Michael Jordan. You're motoring. I believe in your son. I believe he's the future. And his story is going to make us want to fly. But a shoe is just a shoe. Until my son steps into it. Got a name for it? Air Jordan. I don't know. Seriously? Maybe it'll grow on me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Palace Off the Top Rope. Thank you so much for joining me, ladies and gentlemen. And on deck for today's episode, my review of the new film Air from director Ben Affleck, which reunites him again with his best friend, Matt Damon, uh, also starring you know, Viola Davis, Jason Bateman, Chris Tucker, Marlon Wayans, Chris Messina, and this star-studded affair opens today on a Wednesday. Usually new movies start on Friday. But this is uh, an Easter holiday weekend, so they want to capitalize that. This movie has got a tough road against it because it's going up against the juggernaut in the Super Mario Brothers movie, which is expected to be the number one movie this weekend. It's going to make a lot of money. We know that. But it's still good to release a movie like Air, which is a good alternative. Because, um, you know, there's there's going to be people out there that you know aren't necessarily into the the kids' movies, or maybe they do got kids and they can take them early to that one and they can come back to an early evening show of good adult drama. Um, I got to catch it tonight. Uh, I wanted to get my review right here and now. I didn't want to wait till next week because it would have already been out for a long time, and I kind of want to get it while this movie is red hot. It's got a lot of good early buzz, and again, I don't go by any of that. It's nice to hear, but I don't really go with that until I actually see the movie myself, and you'll get my thoughts towards the the latter part of the episode. I kind of want to leave this episode on a high note and not on a low, which is 
pretty much is going to be a chunk of the middle of it because I've got a lot to say because one of the other things that I'm going to cover today is the aftermath of WrestleMania 39, which happened this past weekend. Um, fun event, but there's a lot of stuff that I need to cover that just things are looking kind of grim right now. And I'll explain that more as I get into the latter part of this episode. Um, but a couple of things that I do want to talk about before we get into the two main topics today. Uh, obviously, you want to go over the box office from this past weekend. We're wrapping up March. We're already in April. And it was, a, like I said, a pretty busy March, as I mentioned last week. Uh, pr- pretty much every movie was a hit. Now, last week, I predicted that Dungeons & Dragons was going to fall to John Wick just because I saw all this great buzz for John Wick, and it opened strong. Uh, the biggest opening ever for that for that franchise. So just a, a lot of good stuff heading in that direction. And Dungeons and Dragons actually pulled out a pretty decent number this weekend and was number one. So let's backtrack before I get to that one. So at number five this weekend was Creed three pulled in another five million for a total of a hundred and forty eight million at the box office. Obviously, you know, without inflation and all that stuff, Creed three is the highest uh, money making movie in the Rocky universe. So. Again, just great overall for the business overall and just great for that franchise, which I hope continues on because I'm just one of the biggest Rocky fans that there is. At number four, Scream 3, which climbed back another spot, uh, actually moved up ahead of, uh, of Creed. Uh, Creed had been gaining the momentum a little bit more, but it's nice to see Scream doing a little bounce back as well, pulled in another 5.3 million. Up in its total to 98, so it's definitely going to cross that 100 million dollars threshold. Um, I won't compare this movie in terms of how the other screen movies have done, and I'm talking like you know 2000 and down, not like you know. The, obviously, it's going to pass Scream Five, which I think topped up at around close to 90 million last last year. So this is good for Scream Six, and this is obviously a good sign that they're going to make Part Seven, which. They haven't really formally announced yet, but we all know it's coming, folks. At number three is the religious faith-based film, His Only Son. And again, these movies, like I've said, have made a big comeback ever since the pandemic kind of winded down. So it's good to see all these different kinds of movies ranking in the money. This one pulled in $5.5 million for its opening weekend. Uh, it's the debut, so obviously, you know, other bigger movies are going to be coming out, so I can't see this cracking, you know, higher than, you know, top five. It may dip a lot by next weekend, but still a good showing for a movie that, you know, at least for us, like we we had sold out shows for this. So it's a good sign for the box office. And number two, which was my surprise, which I thought this would actually be number one, and actually took a big dip. Uh, John Wick Chapter 4 pulling in $28.3 million. Obviously still good, but that's a 61% drop from its opening last week, bringing its total to 123. Now I have to go back and look at the numbers, but uh, I'm not sure if this one's going to top John Wick Chapter 3. I think it will, but the way that it dipped pretty quickly is actually kind of concerning to me. I don't know if the, the ending is kind of divisive. Uh, as I was starting to look online, like on YouTube and Twitter and that stuff, like I know it's rated really high on Rotten Tomatoes and stuff like that, but the, the ending is a little bit controversial. So, and again, if you want to hear more about that, check out my episode from last week. Uh, I have more in-depth analysis on that, but, um, the dip here for this week, uh, of 28 million, I was expecting somewhere around 35 to 40 just because of all the goodwill word of mouth that it had, but it actually a little bit higher. And then, with Super Mario Brothers coming up this weekend and along with Air, um, it's probably going to lose even a lot more steam. So we'll see how this is going to top out. But 
a little surprising for me, uh, and not in the good way, but still over a hundred million. So this is a, obviously a box office hit. So can't complain too much about that. And then number one, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, pulling in 37.2 million on its opening weekend. I had predicted around, probably around 30 million for this one. So it's nice to see it kind of like over deliver a little bit. Now, how much of a success? I don't know. Can't really gauge it. You know, this is, this is not the first Dungeons and Dragons movie that there's ever been. There was one that came out in the year 2000, but, and it had Jeremy Irons, but it was kind of a nothing back then and it obviously didn't make any money. So they're kind of treating this one as kind of like the first one that there is. Or I don't know. I, I haven't really, I haven't seen it yet. I do plan to. I do like the directors behind this and obviously I love me some Chris Pine. So hopefully I'll get around to it, but, um, still it's good to see it. I mean, it got the number one spot, so. I have to give it its respect for that. Um, now people are online were saying, well, how come people can call this a success? But then Shazam opened to kind of about the same. Obviously that one made 30 million and people are calling that a flop. Um, and Dungeons and Dragons is a movie that like it's got a budget behind it. It's, it's, it's this big, uh, adventure fantasy film. So there's a lot of CGI and effects. So I'm sure it costs around in the same vein as like a Shazam, but. Shazam is this is the second movie so it should have improved on the first one so and the fact that it didn't that's why people are really considering it a flop uh, as opposed to like Dungeons and Dragons where we can't really compare it to the other movies so uh, I'm sure a lot of people are the diehards were aware of it but this movie was more I want to say it was more mainstream appeal to it especially with who's in it you know not only Chris Pine but you have Michelle Rodriguez and she's very famous for the Fast and Furious movies and Avatar movies so you know, there's notoriety in this movie. And then, of course, you got the people behind uh, Game Night and and uh, Vacation, you know, good directors and writers. So they, they know how to teeter that humor in the movie. So that's that's got it going for it, which is, again, it was also one of the highest rated movies of March. So good way to, to round up the box office uh, this past uh, for this past March. Um, like I said, we were steady pretty much the whole month so that's good for us as opposed to there just being a one big movie and then like you know a month or two ago where nothing's happening so luckily for us even though ant-man and the wasp flamed out like within its second weekend i wasn't worried because we had all these movies coming out for march so that's a very very good sign and obviously i'll take a gander at this weekend for super mario brothers and air i'll make my predictions in terms of like the three-day weekend, I know everyone's looking at the the holiday weekend, so they're going like the five-day estimates and stuff like that. So they're going Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And they have it pegged at $125 million for the five-day weekend. I'm going to make my predictions for the three-day um, because obviously things can change from here to Sunday. You, you never know what's going to happen. But I have it around like the $80 million range. So uh, I can see the Super Mario Brothers um, – having not only that big opening but it'll have legs because it's going to be the only kids movie i know it's got horrible reviews on rotten tomatoes but again those are coming from grown adults who don't realize that this movie is actually aimed for children and i actually had a coworker who saw the movie and told me like yeah it's it's pretty much basically straight up aimed for kids so and i knew that going in i mean come on you know just the marketing for it there was nothing about this that and i understand and I grew up with the Super Mario Brothers, like the video games and stuff like that. It's from like my time when I was a kid. But, you know, I know that this movie is not targeted for me. Well, I, could I still watch it? Yes. But I know I'm not the target audience and I understand that. Um, 
So obviously a lot of the grown adults that that have the nostalgia for it are probably not going to be satisfied with it. But, you know, having been at work and having seen this on opening day, I mean, as far as like walking in and out and seeing how crowds are reacting to it, like the kids are responding to it huge. I even had one kid that came out of the movie that was like, this was the greatest movie I've ever seen. So that right there should tell you this movie is targeted for them. So the bad reviews should not affect uh, the box office going forward, especially with no like kids movie really out until for like maybe guardians but even then guardians is pg-13 so it's not a full-on kids movie so even then like as far as like families taking kids out to the movies every weekend the super mario brothers is probably going to be your best bet for the next couple of weeks so uh super mario brothers should be raking in a lot of money as far as air um i'm gonna try to say it's gonna over deliver and I'm going to go around like 15 to 20 million for the three day weekend, which would be a, an amazing start for a movie like this, which, uh, got bankrolled by a new studio headed up by, uh, her new production company, I should say, headed up by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, where they're going to make kind of like these smaller adult dramas and put them in theaters and, you know, give a bigger piece of the pie to everybody involved in the making of the movie. This is like the first big test for Amazon. And obviously Amazon's already a huge winner with Creed 3 opening huge earlier at the beginning of March. So um, this one I think is going to have strong legs. It's getting a lot of early Oscar buzz already. So that's only going to help its case as far as like going to check this out in the theater. Because if it's getting already that kind of consideration, again, you'll get my review later on. So I'm not even going to speak or agree with that just yet. But the fact that it, people are already talking about that and putting – Oscar and this movie in the same sentence, that's going to attract people's attention. And I think it's going to have great legs. And like I said, it's a good alternative for those that aren't interested in the Mario movie. So there are going to be a lot of adults that will come and check this out this weekend. Um, two trailers also debuted this week that I wanted to talk about a little bit before I get into my main topics. First one is Blue Beetle. Uh, from DC, uh, this movie was obviously made before the regime change and James Gunn and all that stuff. But I think, and a friend told me this, is that I think the Blue Beetle is actually going to be the start of the new era for the for the James Gunn run DC. And again, James Gunn is the director of Guardians of the Galaxy, done a lot of good stuff for the for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But now he's going to be heading up DC and spearheading that uh that whole entity forward. So I think this is going to be the start of it. And the first trailer came out. Um, I don't know how to pronounce the actor's name, but I love him to death. He's from Cobra Kai. I know his first name's Zolo, um, but he's going to be the star of it. Uh, it's got a very Latino, you know, full cast. So I'm always in favor of that. I'm a Latino myself, Hispanic, Mexican, American, however you want to call it. So it's got a lot of actors in there that are of the Latino community. And this is the first like superhero movie kind of like with a, full cast like straight up latino not the whole cast but like a majority of it because susan sarandon's also in this movie anyways the movie looks a lot like a lot of fun i don't know much if anything about the blue beetle comics but the movie looks entertaining and i like the actors that are in it so i'm definitely going to check it out um obviously i probably lean more in dc than than mcu than marvel but uh, and i like the main actors so i I can't, I gotta say, like, I'm really looking forward to it. It comes out in August. I think it's gonna be an IMAX. Uh, it's kinda got, like, that Spider-Man appeal where, like, they're looking at the younger demo. So this could draw the younger audience, which would be good for not only the box office, but 
for the DC, like starting like their new, uh, their new era, so to speak. So really looking forward to that. And it was a really impressive first trailer. Um, and again, very little was known about the movie. I had only seen like one picture still of Zolo in the costume, but not really much else. And it was nice to finally see a trailer for it. And like I said, I'm excited for it. It looks like a lot of fun. It doesn't look like it's taking itself too seriously. Obviously, there's an overabundance of comic book movies, and it hasn't been a good start for them here at the box office this year. But, you know, once Flash comes out in June or July, forgot when it comes out. And then, of course, this one, uh, I think uh, it's going to get right back into the mix of things. So, yeah, looking forward to that one. The second one is uh, another one of my highly anticipated movies, and that's Greta Gerwig's Barbie starring Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. We got our second trailer. The first one was a teaser, which kind of showed you just a little bit one of those classic teaser trailers that barely shows you anything. And then this new one, they show you a little bit more footage, but we kind of still don't know what this movie's about. And I kind of like that. I like the mystery in the trailers where it's like, okay, we know the characters that are going to be in the movie. We know the branding. We know Barbie. We know Ken. We know all of that stuff. But we really don't know what the story is or, or how this is going to correlate with, you know, how much fantasy is it going to be? How much is it going to like try to dive into like the real world because there's a scene in the trailer where it's talking about actually Barbie traveling to the real world. So I don't know what's going on there. It's very vague, but I like it that way. If we could just leave it with that and maybe not have any more trailers and we just go in and then we experience whatever the movie is again, Avengers Endgame did this and without having to put out a really full trailer telling you what the movie was about and it worked, the marketing paid off. I think this is going to be huge for Warner Brothers. It's opening up the same day against Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, but I think it's going to be a great double feature. I'm sure and there's a lot of people, folks, that are going to do this as a double feature, uh, two highly anticipated movies in the summer. And I think Barbie is going to be a huge uh, moneymaker for Warner Brothers. I think they got a franchise on their hands. And, of course, I love me some Margot Robbie. She's my favorite actress uh, currently. So I'm going to check out anything that she's in. And it looks like a lot of fun. All the posters came out for it. There's a lot of actors in this movie, including John Cena. I didn't know John Cena was casted in this. So he continues to move in his career. And I'm always going to follow it because I, I was loyal to him in WWE. And he, I'm a big fan of his movies. They've been pretty decent. And he's pretty entertaining. And he's trying different things. So I appreciate that. So that's just another you know, thing to check off of why I want to see this movie. Obviously, I was already sold on it. But... See now that John Cena's in it, that's a plus for me. Um, yeah, so that's really what I wanted to get started with. Uh, the box office, those trailers I talked about. Now let's take a quick break here. When we come back, that's this is when things are going to get. Uh, I'm going to be on one, folks. I, I'm a little bit upset over some of the things that happened this past weekend at WrestleMania, and in the aftermath of it, I've got a lot to say in the world of professional wrestling. So stick around. This is Palace off the top rope. We'll be right back. Dracula. You will make a very good assistant. I work for Dracula. What? You're like the guy that gets the villain postmate. Let's see. I do other stuff too. Like what? Wash his cape? No, I strike clean only. I attend to his needs, especially during daylight hours. You okay? No. Renfield. Is it yummy? Yes. Rated R. Rated 14. All right, folks, welcome back to the show. Um, this is the part where it's going to be like the most negative that it's going to be in the entire episode. I thought I'd start off on a high and end on a high and just leave all the ranting and stuff for the middle. So here we go. 
This is all wrestling related, so you can skip it if you're only into the movie stuff, and you can fast forward to my review of Air coming up later. Um, as we all know, WrestleMania 39 was this past weekend. And if you follow me on my social media accounts, whether that be Facebook or Twitter, um, those were probably where I gave most of my thoughts. Um, I was very dissatisfied with the conclusion of the show. Now, let me give full context. Obviously, WrestleMania was a two-night event. Saturday, I thought, was so tremendous and thought we were heading towards an all-timer of a WrestleMania. Like, just everything was just so wonderfully there was great presentation, matches were awesome, great results. Um, you know, the main event of Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn against the Usos for the tag team titles was so emotionally like satisfying. And I thought, man, if they can just continue on this path and then they give us that huge Cody Rhodes victory for the, the undisputed championship, this will be one of the greatest WrestleManias ever. And I even said, um, well, now let me get into it. So Cody Rhodes did not win the championship after this entire great build that they had him do or that they've done for him ever since his return to WWE about a year ago. But other big news, just to give even fuller context, is that WWE is about to be sold to the company called Endeavor, and they're the ones that hold uh, the rights to UFC. They own that company as well, so... WWE is no longer going to be owned by the McMahons. So that was huge news going, I want to say like early Sunday, that was like the speculation. And then on Monday, they announced it as officially that it's happening. Now, as far as the whole sale going through, I'm not sure if that's like completely final. Um, I'll have to look up the logistics on that, but pretty sure it's headed that way. Um, so like I said, WrestleMania Saturday was awesome. Everything felt like so like this is such a triple h show then we get to sunday and while most of the show for the most part was still like pretty good there was some stuff in there where i was like hmm this totally feels like vince mcmahon booking like totally not the way triple h had been heading a couple of things that stood out to me uh first one is the hell in the cell match between edge and the demon finn balor now if you watched a lot of nxt during triple h's run he was really protective and was really good about making sure the demon Finn Balor, you know, that character would rarely ever lose in a matchup. I know we've seen it on the main roster and he's lost against Roman Reigns, but it's Roman Reigns, so that's understandable. But other than that, pretty much the demon Finn Balor, like, is pretty protected. And when I saw Edge get the victory on him on Sunday, now I know stuff happened in that match and, you know, it, it got cut a little bit short due to injury, but still the result, I was like, man, why did Edge need to win this? Like the one who really needed it was Finn Balor. And I know booking can go either way, but the way Triple H has been building stuff, it's like a lot of it has been like predictable, but good predictable in the way like you establish, you know, new stars. Like Edge winning here at WrestleMania didn't really help things as far as like Finn Balor goes, as far as like a character, because the whole story with Edge and Finn Balor was actually settled at the event before at Elimination Chamber in the tag match. Like Edge and Beth Phoenix got revenge for everything that happened back at the October show, Extreme Rules, the Concerto, all that stuff. 
So this was a perfect setup for Finn Balor to get the rub and get the nod as like the next guy going forward. Cause obviously we all know Edge is going to retire this year. He even said it like I think in August when they go back to Canada, that's his preferred destination to retire like for good. Um, so that I found to be like weird booking and I was like scratching my head a little bit over that. Um, the Miz had another impromptu match. And we were thinking, oh, this could be maybe L.A. Knight or Bobby Lashley or something like that. Something that the fans have been clamoring for and stuff that Triple H has really been delivering on. And then we get out of nowhere, out of so far left field, we get Shane McMahon. And, of course, people popped because they haven't seen him in a while. But in my head, I was like, this is such a Vince McMahon kind of booking. Just way out of left field and didn't make any sense. And obviously it went to complete disaster. He got hurt and all that. I feel bad for Shane. I think I laughed at the moment, but it was just because of the absurdity over everything and how quickly everything happened and how it went sour real quick. So that was, so that was booking number two. And again, the rest of the show was pretty good. Not as great as Saturday was. Like that's, that just goes without saying Saturday was just absolutely almost perfect in terms of like, how you could book a Saturday WrestleMania. Um, and then we get to the main event and like it's, they give us this great story in the video package leading up to it. The entrances are phenomenal. Cody looks like the biggest star in the world. He's got his entire family there at ringside, including this little baby girl. Um, just all these different aspects, everything like aligned perfectly to crown your next guy for like the next whatever, whatever maybe we don't know how long anybody's run is going to be, but at least for at least good. Two to three years for sure you can have this guy. You know, the fans love him. He's selling all the merchandise and all that stuff. And if you look at the history of WrestleMania and this own company, this is usually where you start the run of, like, your top guys. It happened for Stone Cold Steve Austin. happened for John Cena. didn't happen for Hulk Hogan because he was already the champion. But, you know, they always use WrestleMania as the launching pad for, like, hey, this is going to be your guy. And the match was, like, incredible. All this, like... It was a classic old school main event, uh, high field drama, so many, so many great moments out of this match, you know, just back and forth, uh, the near falls, um, the interference from the Usos and the save from Kevin Owens and the addition of Sami Zayn getting some retribution on Roman Reigns was just incredible. All of this and that. And then for it to end with Cody losing after a Samoan spike from Solo Sokoa and just sucking the air out of that building was just like the biggest letdown ever. And it's like, I don't get it. And what made me even more mad was that they had the press conference afterward at Triple H, uh, who's supposed to be running creative, right? So again, this was, this is my thinking Sunday night, right? I'm thinking it's him. And that's why I wanted to wait a few days for all of this to play out and then kind of gather my thoughts. So first let me tell you how I was feeling beforehand when I thought it was, Possibly Triple H. And he said like, oh, the story's never finished. And things go and go and go. Cause somebody questioned him on like, well, why, why wouldn't you book like the guy who's clearly like the hottest baby face you've had since like a, maybe a John Cena. And you didn't take this moment to crown him. And he just kind of like danced around the question and said how the story's never over in WWE it just keeps going and going. But then someone else should have followed up and said, well, like, well, what about you when you, rehabbed from injury and came back and won the Royal Rumble and won the championship at WrestleMania. The story still went forward, but you were still able to get your moment in front of the fans and 
kind of, to kind of solidify yourself as, as the guy going forward. It's like, why couldn't they do that for Cody? And I don't get it. And I was so mad because the stars were absolutely aligned. And I can't believe they did this twice. Cause obviously there was a lot of people clamoring for Sami Zayn to be the one to beat Roman Reigns. I was never in that spot, but I don't blame you if you were one of those people that thought it should have been him. But I always thought Cody Rhodes was the perfect person to, to take the reins, pun intended, um, and carry the championship and be the next guy moving forward. So I'm like, why, why? Like it was set up perfectly. Like Triple H, you've been booking like this guy perfectly. Like some, like I said, predictability in wrestling is not a bad thing. And this was set up so perfectly. The fans were waiting for it. The world was waiting for it. And then boom, a swerve and like Roman Reigns retains. And it just, you could tell it sucked the life out of that entire building. I think I sunk into my couch. I was like, just, oh man, whatever. And then we come to find out the next day about more about the WWE being sold to Endeavor. And all of a sudden we start hearing rumblings about how Vince McMahon is now somewhat fully back in charge of creative, even though they're saying Triple H is head of creative, but now we're hearing rumblings about Vince having final say. And then I started thinking in my head, this makes all the sense with all the weird booking that happened Sunday because when was it when all those early rumblings started happening about WWE being sold to Endeavor? It was that early Sunday. And I'm thinking, man, that's probably when he started to have his really his hands full on the creative decisions and 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 whatever was going to happen with the rest of the card on that Sunday because Saturday just felt like that felt like a Triple H show. You know, just everything just flowed perfectly. Everything made sense. Sunday, everything was wonky. Uh, there was good stuff, but obviously there was stuff that made you scratch your head. Of course, and if you really think about it, if you're one of those diehard fans that just really looks into the way stuff has been built with Triple H and all of a sudden some of these, uh, some of these outcomes were just like so out of left field and, and then you hear about stuff that was scrapped for WrestleMania, including like an appearance from LA Knight and Bobby Lashley, which I know Triple H would have delivered on because the fans have been clamoring for it. And one of the things Triple H has done, as opposed to like Vince McMahon when he was at the height of creative power, was like he would never deliver on those things. He would just always go against what the fans want. So again, once I heard about this Monday, I was like, WrestleMania makes so much sense now. Like that ending, like I think... I know Triple H probably would have crowned Cody Rhodes the champion and, and begin a new era and a new chapter because this would really fully be Triple H's era like from point zero to wherever he wants to take it because he started back what like in August maybe late July August as he took over for McMahon and kind of stuff was already set in motion this was his chance to kind of like maybe restart completely and have a new face of the company and move it forward but it looks like that's not going to be and man like monday monday's raw after wrestlemania is usually one of the most fun shows of the year because everything starts over there's a lot of new people that debut and a lot of stuff that gets taken in a new direction and there was some good stuff on there but then there was a lot of like a lot of stuff that just didn't make sense and then we come up to find out later from dave Meltzer. it's like yeah vince mcmahon he's back in charge it is what it is kind of like that's the way it's going to be going forward and man, like how quickly things have turned. Like I was just so optimistic about WWE. It's like these last eight months were just like the final enjoyment that we were going to get out of this company. And it's just such a bummer and it's so upsetting. But 
all of these WWE defenders on this stuff are like pushing the goalposts, right? They're like, well, we'll just wait till Friday. We'll see if Vince McMahon's actually there to, to run things. And it's like, but if he has final say, he doesn't need to be there. He can just say, hey, fax me a copy of the script. And if he doesn't like what he sees, he could just change it to whatever he wants. I mean, this really sucks. Like, I was so mad on Monday, and I'm still mad now. Like, I, I just, it hasn't really left my mind. And I know it's just wrestling and, and all that stuff, but I've just, I suffered through so much of these latter years of McMahon and all the stuff he was doing creatively, and it was just a lot of nonsense. And to have Triple H, who I've never really been a fan of, like, as a character, but what he's done behind the scenes as, you know, with talent and morale, everything he did in NXT and everything he had, he had been doing in his takeover in these last eight months, it was just a lot of, it was fun to watch WWE again. Like, it was something to look forward to every single week. Was everything perfect that he was doing? No, I'm not saying that at all. There was stuff that didn't work. But for the most part, everything was making sense. Everything was consistent. There was fresh storylines. There was, you know, all these different matchups. It wasn't rematch after rematch the way Raw would be where stuff would get forgotten or dropped. Storylines would come out of nowhere and then just leave and disappear. And that's what Monday Night Raw felt like. And that's what the second half of WrestleMania felt like. It felt like just a lot of like, what is going on here? Perfect example. WrestleMania Sunday, they had the women's tag team showcase match. Four teams of women. Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler won. And we were assuming that out of those, the winners of those match matchups, because I did one with the men too, that they were going to get tag team championship matches. I mean, it's just logical booking, right? Um and then Monday night comes along, and the winner of the men's showcase, the Street Profits, they fight Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. But it's not for the belts. It's just a match. But it's like it should be for the belts because they just want to match with a lot of other tag teams where that would kind of basically make them the number one contenders. And Shayna Baszler and Ronda Rousey won their matchup on Sunday. And then on Monday Night Raw, there's a random tag team number one contenders match between Damage Control and Raquel Rodriguez and Liv Morgan. And I'm like, what? That was like where I really scratched my head. I was like, that's total Vince. Like he's just disregarding whatever happened before. And he's just going to do whatever he wants. So I'm not the only one feeling like this. There's a lot of people on the internet that are just so bummed out about this. Apparently there's been a big hit to morale backstage in WWE with the talent and all that stuff. And man, to just not even be self-aware. Like if you're Vince McMahon, just to be like, just step away, man. Or if you, if you, if you want to be around, like be around it, but don't be around the decision making. You know, that's your time is up with that. Like it's completely up. And I'm curious about what happens Friday. Like the fans are probably going to revolt. There's going to be a lot of chants. There's probably going to be a lot of, you know, probably added in, piped in crowd noise to overshadow that stuff. And you'll be able to tell. But man, what a, what a bummer. Because we were all on such a high and this WrestleMania was such one of the most anticipated ones ever and it was built up perfectly and the first night was so amazing of it. Like I still think WrestleMania Saturday was just one of the best WWE shows has put on in like years and years and years. Like it was just so, so good. And then just to from Sunday, from the main event on to the end of Monday Night Raw was just like just a complete, what was it, is it 180? Just went all downhill from there. And such a bummer. 
and I don't know what happens here now. Like I, I was watching, you know, AEW Dynamite tonight, and I mean, I just it was just on for me. Like there, I, there was no excitement for me. At least for WWE, I was excited about where everything was going and how everything was, you know, shaping up and how we were getting ready to crown the next person to be like the face of the company. And he could st- still very well be, but WrestleMania was the perfect night to do it, and they just swerved us completely. Now, whether it was a decision that was made weeks ago and that was a Triple H decision, then that that's bad on his part, and he deserves blame on that. But if Vince McMahon had something to do with it, then God bless, because he completely fumbled that and may have just ruined all of the momentum WWE had grown over the last eight months. And like I said, I watched Dynamite tonight, and I'm not really excited about anything that's going on there. If Vince McMahon stays in control and it ends up becoming like a mess again, like I'm gonna just, it's just gonna be whatever to me. I may still watch, but it won't be as entertaining and not something to look forward to. The only thing right now that could keep me a hold and grab me would be CM Punk returning in some fashion somewhere, whether it be AEW or wherever. Uh, so say, if you're listening to this, CM Punk, save me. You're the only thing left that could really grab my intention. I'm still a big fan of Cody Rhodes. I'm just, I, I can trust in the booking. If this is going to be going forward, if Vince McMahon has final say again, I, I just don't trust in them to, to have him carry the ball and be the face of the company. I just don't see it. And I think I'm going to wrap it up on my rant here because I want to get to my review of air because I want to end it on a high note. So let's take one final break. This is Palace off the top rope. We'll be right back. I'm willing to bet my career on Michael Jordan. Come on, man. You ask me what I do here. This is what I do. I find you players, and I fucking feel it this time. Okay, it's risky. When you were selling sneakers out of the back of your Plymouth, that was risky. It took balls. I mean, that's why we're all here. Don't change that now. I mean, if you look at him, if you really look at Jordan, like I did, you're going to see exactly what I see. Which is what? The most competitive guy I have ever seen. He is a fucking killer. All right, welcome back to the show. And now that we've got the negative out of the way, let's get to the fun stuff. Let's get to my review of the week. That is the new film Air from director Ben Affleck, starring Matt Damon, Ben Affleck himself, Chris Messina, Viola Davis, Chris Tucker, Marlon Wayans. Uh, Just, I can't say, say this like without just being completely honest and you know, I love Ben Affleck and Matt Damon a lot, but, and I know this is going to sound biased to a lot of people, but this is the first great movie of 2023, hands down. Um, a movie about, uh, the start of a shoe based on an athlete who, of course, is Michael Jordan. And you think like the behind the scenes of something like that wouldn't be engaging. I encourage you all to watch a movie called Moneyball with Brad Pitt, which is, Basically, you know, manipulating salary caps and and all that stuff. It's the behind the scenes of a baseball, you know, organization in a huge sport. Um, and, and that movie was so engaging and engrossing. Um, but this one, I, I think, took it just a bit further and got really into the characters. Like everybody is so top notch in this movie. I'm talking the supporting cast is incredible. I mean, Jason Bateman. Uh, gives one of his best performances. Um, Viola Davis was, of course, tremendous. Affleck directs the hell out of this movie. He is one of our top directors in the game, and he should be like getting offers and offers to do so many different things, and not just you know. I know everybody wants him to make the Batman movie or whatever, but he is so like beyond doing something like that. He is good 
at these dramatic pieces of art that he's given us, you know, with Gone Baby Gone and The Town and Argo and even Live By Night. That one's a little bit underrated, not his strongest, but still a finely crafted film. And here comes his fifth effort in air and he does knock it out of the park. And I have to say, this is probably uh, Matt Damon's finest, most lovable performance. I know people are going to say, well, what about Goodwill Hunting? He was so amazing in that. Yes, he was. But if you remember Goodwill Hunting, he's also kind of unlikable in that movie for a lot of it. Um, and obviously for good reason. There's like <laughs> d- deeper stuff going on in that character. But I'm telling you, Matt Damon, you cheer for him from the moment he first appears on that screen. He is so likable and you just want to root for him to meet his goal of trying to sign Michael Jordan to the Nike company. So that's basically what the story is, right? So it's about the the basketball shoe world and how Nike's kind of like at the bottom of the totem pole as far as like, you know, getting to sign players and all that stuff. Obviously, you got the big players like Converse and Adidas. And obviously, in hindsight, now they're not as big. But during their heyday, like those were the companies people were going to and not just basketball players. You're talking about hip hop artists and, you know, the trends that were in that direction that day, those were like the highest. They would go to those companies. And Nike was really known for more of just like being like people that would buy like their running shoes from or, you know, athletes from the Olympics. And they had never really signed a big basketball player. So that's basically what the whole story is, is that Nike basketball shoe department um, being head up by Jason Bateman. And of course, Matt Damon's there as Sonny Vaccaro. Again, they all play real people in these in this movie. It's not a straight up biopic. But there is all real people in this movie. And it's about Matt Damon just being so stubborn and wanting to go after Michael Jordan and invest all of their budget into creating a shoe line around him. uh, As opposed to like trying to sign three or different four just, you know, kind of not average players, but just, you know, not as big of names. And obviously we all know what Jordan became uh, what he is. But in in the movie, obviously he isn't the Michael Jordan that we all grow accustomed to knowing. But there's all like this foreshadowing of that's what he's going to be. So that makes the movie stand out even more as far as like the mythos. Um, so again, th- to me, this is Matt Damon's like finest performance. And I-, I would love for him to get some recognition in the Oscars for it as far as like maybe a nomination. Um, it's going to be on the top 10 list of a lot of people. I know it. Uh, and all the reviews that I had been hearing about or just little like tweets of people that had seen the movie like they undersold it like i i went into it knowing of this stuff but like i still like to judge the movie for myself and it just went above and beyond all these tweets and little mini reviews that i had seen of this movie it just this movie delivers on such a high level it's crowd pleasing it's funny it's heartfelt like i there was moments in this movie i think i cried like twice and it just from stuff that i wasn't even expecting to get emotional over like that's how good the acting is how good the story's told how good it's directed so again this is just the first like great movie of 2023 i know we're barely in april and usually we get like the really high prestige movies towards the end of the year but just to showcase the oscars just passed and everything everywhere all at once although not one of my like absolute favorites it did win best picture and it was released around this time last year so if you want to tell me air doesn't have a chance at getting an oscar nomination i would say hold the phone right there because (laughs) the best picture winner from this year was released around this time last year so almost a full year went by and it still got recognition so i can see this definitely uh 
like I said, Matt Damon was my favorite performance, obviously. Uh, but one of the MVPs of the movie is, uh, Chris Messina, who plays Michael Jordan's agent. And he's like a Ben Affleck regular. He show, he's shown up in Argo and I think in Live by Night. Um, so he's a really underrated, like, character actor, but he's so freaking, he's good as an asshole in this movie, but he's also, like, super funny and kind of, like, charming, uh, in a way. So he was a, he was a standout for me. And then of course, Jason Bateman's always good. He's good at being that snarky. Like he's always got something witty to say under his breath. And he's so good at that. But there's like a scene in this movie where he gets to be like really dramatic and show his range. And it's just so good. It's like, there's a lot of good one-on-one scenes here and stuff for like acting classes. There's like a lot of, you know, there's interactions between Affleck and Damon's characters, you know, just going at each other. And it's just so, fun to watch and again it's just a movie about the about a shoe in a company and it's not even about like the sport like it's everything everything surrounding it um and one of the smart things that ben affleck does in this movie and just to give you that aura of like the the legend that is michael jordan even though he's not that yet in this movie is that he decides to not show him at all and I don't think that's a spoiler, but it's just something you should go in like expecting like I, I was watching this with a full crowd and the person sitting next to me was like, man, are they ever going to show him? But it's like, that's kind of like the mystique. Like it, it's kind of cool that they're not showing him. And it was a very nice touch from a direct director to decide not to, you know, put a face on Jordan because it's kind of hard to cast somebody like that, that everybody holds on such a stratosphere as far as like this icon. Right. So that's what he was going for there. And I had heard about it in interviews and I saw Affleck do the rounds on the media and he's, he mentioned that. So I knew that going in that they weren't going to actually show Michael Jordan, you know, being portrayed by somebody because you can't really cast Michael Jordan because you're going to look at him and be like, that's not Michael Jordan. And that's exactly what Affleck said in the interviews. So again, great touch. Um, again, this, and the movie's not long either. So it runs about like an hour and 50 minutes. So it's right under the two hour mark. Perfect for a guy like me these days where I don't really like my movies so long, even though I heard that possibly the next Scorsese movie is going to be clocking in at four hours, but that's Martin Scorsese. There's exceptions to the rules, so uh, it is what it is, but this was a, a perfectly paced movie. It's engaging all the way through. You would think, right, a movie about the behind the scenes at a, at a shoe corporation wouldn't be this engaging, but it is, folks. It is so crowd-pleasing and so... Um, it's rated R, so I wouldn't say it's a family film, but definitely not, it's not a mean spirited movie. It's, I mean, there's cussing in the movie, but it's not like everybody's, you know, throwing curse words in every scene. It's only happens when it, things get heated, but, uh, it, this is just such a great movie for Affleck and Damon to start. This was a movie, uh, coming to you from Amazon studios. So they put their full investment in them to make this a theatrical distri- distributed movie, it's through their new production company called Artist Equity, where they're going to be making mo- smaller movies, like kind of these more adult dramas, and they're going to be giving a piece of the pie to more people that are involved in the in the filmmaking. And you know, it's it's not just all the actors making all the money and stuff like that. It's going to be like you know, the light crew and you know, the cinematographers and you know, whoever. Uh, and this is something that Affleck and Damon have been thinking about for years and years and years. So it's nice for them to make this their kind of like kickstart and i gotta say a lot of this marketing had everybody this as the reuniting of them too but you guys totally missed the boat on the last duel 
which came out about two years ago. It was, of course, during the pandemic still, and not a lot of people were going out to the theaters. But check that one out if you haven't. It's from Ridley Scott. It's got Adam Driver as well. But Affleck and Damon are in that movie together too, and they co-wrote it. So this is not – I mean, this is not the first time they're reuniting in like a very long time. They did it recently, and now uh, hopefully they're going to do it more. They're just such a great team. And this is Matt Damon's movie. I, I, I mentioned the supporting cast, but this is totally a Matt Damon movie. And like I said, he – to me, like this is his – just his best performance it's so sincere and sweet and he's got the he's got the belly on for this so kind of relatable for me you know i got that that dad bod you know (laughs) there's even mention of like there's a scene between him and affleck and affleck asks him like do you run and there's like this wide shot of damon you can clearly see he has a gut and he's like no i don't run and it's like man i i the most relatable i'll probably ever be to matt damon in my life was in that moment so uh go check it out this weekend folks i know everyone's gonna go see the super mario brothers and if you're gonna go see it cool fine for you but if you have the opportunity also to go check out air please do so in a theater with a crowd it was this was a fun watch with a crowd you know people laughed where they should have you could tell where people were like you know, they wanted to clap and cheer and you just feel it in the air. There's some, there's some movies where, um, well, I think all movies should be experienced in the theater, but there's certain movies that you watch where you know, like, you can feel the crowd is feeling the vibe of the movie and definitely everyone was feeling the vibe for this one. So it's one of the best movies of the year. It's going to be on my top 10. Um, it'll probably be hard to top just because I love everything about this from the acting, the directing, the cinematography. There was cool shots in it. Uh, the screenplay, the drama, it's just, it, it checked all of my boxes. So, and the music's great. It's, it takes place, of course, around 1984, 85. So there's a lot of pop music from, from that time. It, just overall 80s music and a lot of references to stuff going on. So, um, yeah, just great, great movie. Go check it out. You're going to get your money's worth. And that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. I appreciate it so much. You can find this podcast on Spotify Podcast, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, anywhere where you can get your podcast. I do distribute this through podbean.com. Um, you can get download the Podbean app. You can listen through there. Uh, I also distribute this on my social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, also through podbean.com. So everything gets feeded out through that, uh, that website. And um, yeah. Um, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I, I wanted to leave it on a high again. If, hopefully if you're not into the wrestling, you forwarded that and just enjoyed this uh, movie review and go check out air this week. Or if you can like just soon, just get to a theater and watch it. Cause it's, it's a blast. So take it easy. God bless you guys. We'll see you on the next episode. Motor-